greetings to all our brethren and family around the world, and thank you, Mr. King, for that special music. reminds me of music from the 50s that uh, my wife and I used to enjoy. Perhaps uh, some of you saw the full moon here this last Tuesday night. It informs us that we're getting very close to the festival season. At Thursday, September 25th, just 12 days from now, we'll be observing the Feast of Trumpets. Uh, that's the first day of the seventh month on God's calendar, and then, of course, followed by the Day of Atonement on the tenth day of the seventh month, which will be a double Sabbath on October 4th. And then that's followed, of course, by the Feast of Tabernacles, two weeks exactly after the Feast of Trumpets on the 15th of the seventh month. So God gives us the festivals, the Sabbaths, the holy days, to give us an understanding of his plan of salvation for all mankind. We rejoice in the truth. That's 1 Corinthians 13.6. We rejoice in the truth. How precious it is. And Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. The whole world is in bondage to sin and deception, But God has called us to be free because he's given us understanding of the truth. But in these last days, God warns us there are many false prophets and many false false doctrines and heresies. Turn to 2 Thessalonians, the second chapter, 2 Thessalonians 2, starting with verse 8. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. So we're very clear that this lawless one is at the very end of this age when Christ returns. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders. It's no wonder the whole world is deceived. And with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, Because they did not love, they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. I pray and hope that every single one of us has a deep love and dedication to the truth. They did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they will believe the lie. That they all may be condemned who do not, who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure uh, in unrighteousness. So God warns us, don't believe the lie. You might turn back uh, one page here to chapter 1 and verse 8. Not only do people disbelieve the truth, but they do not obey the gospel or the truth. Breaking into the middle of a thought here in 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 8, talking about God's vengeance and flaming fire taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. So God warns us also to be obedient as well as to make sure we don't believe the lie. So how do we know who has the truth and who does not have the truth, or who is in error? First John, the fourth chapter. There will be those who will disagree with this because they'll say, well, this is circular reasoning. 
And if anyone claims to have the truth, then how do we know he has the truth? Because the Apostle John is, of course, ordained by Christ as uh, an apostle. He was the one who was saying, look, I'm telling you what is true and wasn't, what isn't true. And here's the test. First John 4 and verse 5. They are of the world. I'm talking about the testing the spirits there in verse 1. Therefore they speak as of the world, and the world hears them. The Apostle John makes this bold statement. He says, we are of God. He who knows God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. God's true minister is saying, look, how do we know the truth? If they don't hear us, the true ministers of God, this is the test. If they don't hear us, they are in error. I'm saying, well, that's kind of bold for the Apostle John to say, well, yes, it was bold because he knew who he was. And he knew that he had that close relationship with Christ. And he was a leader in God's church at that time. That same principle applies today, brethren. And we don't have to feel as the true church of God tested and tried whether someone is testing us to be true or not. The reverse is true. We test the others whether they are true or not true. Of course, we challenge all of our television viewers and all of our audiences and all of our brethren, prove all things, test all things. Don't just believe it, as you heard in the sermonette from uh, Mr. Nathan. We do want you to test the truth, but God gives you the source of truth. But you've got to prove whether the Bible is the inspired word of God or not. You know, there are those two foundational realities. One, who is God? The creator, the lawgiver, the life giver, who has revealed his creation through his son, Jesus Christ who gave himself for us and was buried, died, buried, and was resurrected, and now at the right hand of the throne of God. And we know who God is and what he is. He is love. And he's given us a way of life revealed through his Son. And then beyond that, we need to understand not only who God is, but what his revelation is. That is the Holy Scriptures, the Bible, the Book of God, the Mind of God. With those two foundational stones or truths and realities, you are, you can test anything. And anyone can test you for that matter by those two basic realities. God gives us that revelation. And of course the world took of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and rejected revelation. And so God gives us the, the benefit of having that wonderful revelation. So John says, those who do not hear us are of error. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Recently, some of us were shocked to learn that some of our brethren had departed from the faith. Why? Some of them were deceived into believing false doctrine, not sound doctrine. Mr. Peter Nathan gave a sound sermonette here just two weeks ago 
titled Sound Doctrine. And we heard another Sound Doctrine sermonette just a few minutes ago. We were having a discussion at lunch the other day with Dr. Douglas Winnale, and we were discussing some of these apostate ministers, ministers that were our friends and colleagues for, for many years, and they left. And Dr. Winnale was saying to one of the uh, ministers who was at the time leaving the truth, and he said, well, well, why, uh, why are you doing this? He said, well, I never proved that. I never proved that doctrine, or I never proved this doctrine. Well, maybe he never wanted to, wanted to prove that particular doctrine becomes an excuse. But that excuse isn't going to play before the judgment seat of Christ. We are challenged to prove what is right and what is wrong. Many of you are well established in the faith, and we thank God for that. Uh, some of our newer brethren are learning fundamentals of true doctrine. Uh, some are just formulating their beliefs because they've just been introduced to the truth. But some people, some people will believe anything. They want to hear gossip. They want to hear some new outlandish idea that someone preaches as gospel. And uh, perhaps those in uh, England can tell, tell me a little more, but I believe there's still a flat earth society. Is there not still a flat? Yeah, Mr. Nathan's saying yes. There still is a flat earth society. There are people who still believe that the earth is not a globe, that it's just flat. Can you believe that? I hope you don't believe that. First <laughs> Thessalonians 5.21, you know that. We quote it so often. Test all things. Hold fast that which is good. Or in the King James Version, prove all things. Hold fast that which is good. Or the NASB, but examine everything carefully. Hold fast to that which is good. That's First Thessalonians 5.21. We need to know what we believe. Do you know what you believe? Do you believe the truth of the Bible? Do you obey the truth? The title of the sermon today is Believe and Obey the Truth. Do you believe and obey the truth? How established are you in the faith? Let's turn to Colossians, the second chapter. Colossians 2. You're going to be hearing that theme a little more about being established in the faith. Colossians, the second chapter. As you have received Christ Jesus the Lord. Colossians 2, verse 6. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord. So have you received Christ Jesus the Lord? We know not in the Protestant way, but in the biblical way, that you have surrendered your life to Him. You belong to Him. He's bought and paid for you by His blood. He's your master. He's the kurios um, in the Greek, Lord, boss, owner. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk you in Him rooted and built up in Him. You are very deeply enmeshed in the truth and in a relationship with Him and built up in Him and established in the faith. So faith is the assurance, the conviction, but it is a body of belief as well. In this case, you're established in the body of truth, the body of belief. As you have been taught. Well, who are your teachers? Are your teachers God's true ministers? 
That's the one question you'll need to answer. As you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy or empty deceit. And that's what you heard about the <clears throat> book of Enoch. According to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. So how established are you in the truth? You know First Peter 3 15. Well, let's turn there, First Peter 3.15. I've emphasized this here in uh, recent months. But we all need to be established in the faith and be able to give a defense for the hope that lies within us. First Peter 3, verse 15. Second Peter. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. And in the recent heresies and crazy ideas that have been circulating, some of our brethren have not given a defense when they should have given a defense to the truth. Are you able to give a defense for the truth? In the King James, it says, give an answer for the hope that lies within you. To everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you, and you do that with weak meekness and fear. Well, you have that reverence towards God. We have uh, sermon number 293, always be ready to give an answer. And I remember one time when uh, someone asked a, a question, and uh, the person said, oh, here's, here's kind of this loose brick. Uh, in your teaching. And uh, I didn't have the answer at the moment. I said, but, but I'll get the answer for you. And was able to get the answer that showed it was not a loose brick of our teaching, but biblically sound. And so sometimes if you're put on the defense, just realize, wait a minute, I may not have the answer right now, but I can get the answer. And I can give a defense for the truth and for what the church teaches and what I know to be be true. So can you defend the faith? Do you know the fundamentals of Christianity? Let's turn to 2 Timothy, the third chapter. 2 Timothy 3. He mentions all of the uh, terrible characteristics and degradations of our end time, the last days. Verse 6. Uh, For of this sort are those who creep into households and make captives of gullible women loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts. So you've got to make sure, both men and women, that you aren't practicing sin and therefore you become vulnerable to deceptions. Always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. There are those, oh, they just want to study and study and learn and learn and read all of these apocryphal books and uh, all the uh, uh, heresies that are out there, all these wonderful Gnostic ideas. Isn't that fantastic? Oh, just wonderful. Oh, just, no. Always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now, as Jannies and Jambres resisted Moses, so do those who also resist the truth. Yes, resist the truth, men of corrupt minds. 
disapprove concerning the faith, but they will progress no further, for their folly will be manifest to all, as theirs also was. I believe it's Numbers, is it Numbers 32, 23 that says, your sins will find you out. You know, sometimes we think that some people are getting away with some kind of sin or some kind of heresy or some kind of illicit practice or dishonesty or deception. And yet God is going to reveal that over a period of time. Your sins will find you out. Oh, shockingly, some have fallen away from the church here in Charlotte, rejecting the identity of the lost ten tribes of Israel. Others have read the heretical book of Enoch and have become convinced that angels married women or that humans have an immortal soul. But we heard in the sermonette the answer to that, how sin came into the world, the truth of the Bible, not the heretical view of the book of Enoch. So thank you again, Mr. Nathan, for that sound doctrine sermonette. Angels did not marry women. God created creatures who created after their own kind. And angels don't recreate. All kinds of animals created, God created to reproduce what? After their own kind. God is reproducing himself. He is creating after his own kind. He's begotten us with a spirit of truth, as it says in James 1, verse 17. Of his own will begat he us of the word of truth, that we might be kind, a kind of firstfruits of his creation. Humans reproduce humans. God said, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. So angels do not reproduce, and even if they did, it would be after their own kind. They do not reproduce. So such people, in my judgment, who are following these heretical, and I would use the word crazy, ideas, some of them are always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth, as the Apostle Paul wrote. We need to test all things, hold fast that which is good. We live in a faithless age dominated by materialism, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. That's 1 John 2, verse 15. That's the kind of world we're living in. And we do need men, women, and children of faith. We need to know what we believe, and we need to test our beliefs. One of the age-old songs that I enjoy sometimes singing partly, and I should probably not attempt it here, but I believe some of you know that song. I believe for every drop of rain that falls. That's as far as I'll go. Uh, I believe for every drop of rain that falls, a flower grows. I believe that somewhere in the darkest night, a candle grows. I believe for everyone who goes astray, someone will come to show the way. I believe. I believe. The next verse goes on. I believe above the storm... A smallest prayer will still be heard. I believe that someone in the great somewhere hears every word. Every time I hear a newborn baby cry, or touch a leaf, or see the sky, then I know why. I believe. Every time I hear a newborn baby cry, or touch a leaf, or see the sky, then I know why. I believe. Do you know why you believe? 
I just marvel. Um, I guess maybe it's the simplest things that impress me, but when I see the cumulus clouds against the Carolina blue sky, and the beautiful formations the past couple days, and God is the most fantastic artist there is. He's the greatest engineer and architect, the greatest designer. And just what beauty God has created in his creation. And I know why I believe. Do you know what you believe? Do you believe the truth? Do you obey the truth? Let's turn to Romans, the second chapter. Romans 2. God challenges us time and time again. Don't believe lies. Test everything. But you need to have an attitude of responsiveness and of obedience. Romans 2 and verse 5, talking about uh, those who despise God's goodness, knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance. Romans 2, verse 4. Verse 5, but in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. Here are those who are intellectually vain, ever learning and never come to the knowledge of the truth, and never coming to the place of solid responsibility for their actions, and repenting and confessing, I'm sorry, I'm wrong. If you've never said that, you're wrong. You need to again think about that. Treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God who will render to each one according to his deeds eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality. That's what God has called us to. Verse 8, but to those who are self-seeking and how many of the 8, eight billion, was it uh, 7 billion, People on the face of the earth are self-seeking and do not obey the truth. How do you obey the truth? But obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath is what is going to come upon them. Tribulation and anguish on every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first, and also of the Greek. God warns us about those who do not obey the truth. Galatians 3. reinforces that very same concept. Galatians, the third chapter. Galatians 3. O foolish Galatians, Galatians 3, verse 1, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? That's the problem of some of our brethren who've gone astray. They have not obeyed the truth. Who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified? This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law, by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, you are now being made perfect by the flesh? And we know the context of this is circumcision, that there were those that saying that the Galatians had to be physically circumcised in order to be saved. And the Apostle Paul is making it very clear that they were not obeying the truth, some of them there in the 
Church of God at Galatia. Let's turn to Colossians, the second chapter. Well, that's where you already read that, but I'll just to reinforce because I'll probably be referring to that scripture a couple times during the sermon. Colossians 2 and verse 6 again. Are you established in the faith? Colossians 2, verse 6. As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. So are you established in the faith? And how can you be established in the faith? Do you know what you believe? We need to believe the truth and obey the truth. We need to practice the fundamentals of Christianity. In fact, we have a sermon by that title, Sermon 332, Fundamentals of Christianity. Of course, we desire all of us, all of our brethren to be established in the faith. And we've been giving you solid food to strengthen you spiritually week after week, month after month. Let me just mention some of the sermons which you've heard, you may want to review along the lines of the fundamentals of Christianity and sound doctrine. Sermon number 765, No Sound Doctrine by Jim Meredith. <coughs> Sermon number 253, Stick to the Trunk of the Tree. That's not on our website, but we might have a DVD of it in our library, I'm not sure. Number 716, standing in the gap, knowing our mission of being the watchman there of Ezekiel, the 33rd chapter. Sermon number 555, stand for the truth. Have you done that? Have you had a defense for the questions and the challenges you faced? Number 615, who will stand by Mr. Bob Leake? Number 341, going on to perfection. So what should you believe? Let's take a look at three of the obvious instructions from God's Word of what we should believe. Turn to Mark 1, Mark the first chapter. Mark 1, starting with verse 14. Now after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. What are your foundational beliefs? Believe in the gospel, Jesus said. And, of course, repent goes along with it. So that's foundational. How strong a belief do you have in the gospel of the kingdom of God? We rehearse it every year, of course, on the Feast of Tabernacles. We have a foretaste of tomorrow's world, of the world tomorrow, the kingdom of God coming. And we're preaching it regularly on our media, throughout our media, television and the print and Internet. How deeply do you believe that? Uh, have you embraced that promise? Is it a part of 
your very belief system. Another foundational instruction, John 3.16. What should you believe? John 3.16. Now let me ask, I should take the survey ahead of time. Well, I'll ask anyway. How many of you know what is called the golden verse of the Bible or the most precious verse of the Bible? We see your hands. Okay. That's about 80% of you since I gave you the answer by turning to John 3.16. Anyway, it's it's amazing that when I've taken surveys in outlying church areas and only 20 or 30% of our church members know what is the golden verse of the Bible, the precious verse of the Bible, and yet... Over the years, when you watch NFL, that is National Football League, and you see the end zone, and here's this big sign, John 3.16. I think they've prohibited that in recent years. You don't see that as often. But it is foundational to God's whole plan of salvation and is not to be taken lightly, even though its overuse and misuse by Protestants can sometimes maybe diminish the sense of commitment we should have. John 3.16 For God so loved the world. That is not the ways of the world, but the people in the world, that he gave his only begotten Son. You just have to think about that. We have a series in our Living Church News written by Mr. Gerald Weston on John 3.16 that that takes a a basic article on each one of these phrases. So God so loved the world. And then another article on He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. We show that you are going to perish if you don't have an immortal soul. Well, this is one of the proofs to show that you do not have an immortal soul because Christ had to come to save you from perishing, that is, to destroy life, so you can have the gift of everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. Well, what should you believe? That God is love and He sacrificed His Son, the Logos, the Word, for you and for me. We remember that at the New Testament Passover every year. What else should you believe? The third fundamental is in Hebrews 11, verse 6. Hebrews 11, verse 6. You all know that basically by heart. You should. But without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe, believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. So you need to know the true God. And what is the test, or one of the tests, of knowing who the true God is? 1 John 2, verse 3. 1 John 2 and verse 3. Mr. Nathan was mentioned some of the Gnostic literature 
in the sermonette and how that's affected uh, people's false belief systems. What John was saying here, this is how we know. The Greek word gnosis means knowledge, and in John throughout First uh, John is saying, by this we know. You just circle that phrase, you'll find it quite frequently throughout the first uh, epistle of John. Because he's saying this is true knowledge, not Gnostic false knowledge. This is true knowledge. How do we know? 1 John 2, verse 3. Now by this we know that we know Him if we keep His commandments. Here's a test. Because he goes on to say in verse 4, He who says I know Him and does not keep His commandments is a liar and the truth is not in Him. So God gives us the test In fact, the uh, subhead in some of the New King James Bibles have it, the test of knowing him is at the head of that particular verse. But he who says he abides in, in him ought himself also to walk as he walked. Well, I'm quoting a different uh, scripture. No, that's it. Verse 5. No, that's in verse verse 6. Well, verse 5 But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk or live just as he lived. So how strong is your belief? We've seen just three fundamentals of what we should believe. Let's turn to John, the 14th chapter. John 14, another section of belief. John 14, starting with verse 1. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. So to his audience, they believed in what they thought was the God of the Old Testament, who in fact was standing right before them. Believe also in me, in my Father's house, are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. So Christ is preparing a place for us. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Verse 6. So we need to make sure that we believe in Him. One more scripture on that section before we go on to the next part. We're emphasizing how strong is your belief and what do you believe? Are you, are you strong in your belief, in your faith, in the fundamentals? Acts the 8th chapter. Acts 8, Acts the 8th chapter, and verse 36. Remember, Philip was with the Ethiopian eunuch, and uh, he explained to him the place in Isaiah uh, where the uh, eunuch was reading. And so in verse 36, now as they went down the road, They came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water, what hinders me from being baptized. And Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He knew who the real Messiah was, because it was right within that decade after Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. So he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. 
If you believe with all your heart, you may. But what, what is your belief system and how strong are you? In the remainder of the sermon, I'll try to give you seven keys to be established in the faith. Seven keys to know what you believe. Seven fundamentals of Christianity or seven ways to be established in the faith. And these are fundamentals. And yet, some of our people who should have been established in the faith, in the fundamentals, even after decades, have been deceived. Because they were not testing themselves. They were not ensuring themselves to be close to God, being humbled by God, being taught by God, corrected by God, instructed by God, through the church, through the Bible, and through their study of God's Word. Trenton, that is, trembling before God's Word. Number one in being established in the faith, know and live by basic doctrines. You say, well, this is obvious. You've mentioned this many times before. Yes, we need to get it through our thick skulls or hardened hearts uh, to get the truth. Hebrews, the sixth chapter, gives the basic doctrines of the church. The six basic doctrines of the church. Hebrews... Sixth chapter. Starting with verse one. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection. <clears throat> Remember in Matthew five, verse forty eight, he said, Become you therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. It's sometimes translated mature. Not laying again the foundation. What is that foundation? What are the basic six basic doctrines? Foundation of, number one, repentance from dead works. Number two, faith toward God. Number three, doctrine of baptisms. Number four, laying on of hands. Number five, resurrection of the dead. And number six, Eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. So we need to be able to have experienced at least those basic understandings and actually had the repentance from dead works, the faith towards God, been baptized, had the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment yet remain. <coughs> but we need to again make sure that we have committed ourselves totally and unreservedly. This is from the booklet, What is a True Christian? by Roderick C. Meredith, page 6. So although doing good works is an integral part of Christianity, there is much more. Yes, we certainly do need to work on developing gentleness, kindness, and service toward others, but we must also, in a very real sense, Be conquered by God. So many of those who have left, and we think about the evangelists in our former association, and thousands and thousands of uh, brethren who are deceived by uh, an apostate uh, doctrine, a false version of the New Covenant, were never conquered by God. It was... I have found God. Not that God has called you and 
now that you understand. But you have humbled yourself totally and realized, as Mr. Herbert Armstrong phrased it, I am just a burned out, what is a burned out hunk of junk. And he used another expression as well. If you come to that place where the Apostle Paul said, I know that in me dwells no good thing. And he said, I, he abhorred himself like the, like Job did. You know, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. If you've not ever experienced that, that's what leads to conquering by God, where you are totally, unreservedly surrendered to God. There's more I could read there, but I better go on for for lack of time. But we need to be established in the faith, and we need to know what we believe. Uh, Jim Meredith told me the story of a nine-year-old here in our congregation who wanted to uh, recite to him the 29 things. And if I have the story correct, Mr. Jim Meredith, he said, well, what are the 29 things? And uh, he said, well, you know, the 29 things. And so the nine-year-old began to mention each of the 29 topics in the official statement of fundamental beliefs. I don't know all of the 29, but he, he was able to recite them one by one, all 29. I'm just going to read them to you quickly. What do you believe? This is what the living church of God believes and teaches. The official statement of fundamental beliefs reviewed by the Council of Elders, and we never change anything unless we have 90%, is it, or something like that of of our uh, council that will agree to any changes in these doctrinal statements. I'll just read the topics, all 29 of them. One, the church, its name, its mission. The Holy Bible. Who and what is God? God's Sabbath, sin and its consequences, the first death, the second death, the meaning of born again, God's form of church government, church history, tithing, defining marriage, overcoming racial prejudice, separation from the world, military service and war, Divine healing, God's health law concerning meats, origin of modern Israelites, the great tribulation, the day of the Lord, Christ's second coming, the millennium, the last judgment, and finally, mankind's origin, incredible potential, and ultimate destiny. Now God prophesied that there be people who would join the church with favors, with for favors, and with compliments, and are not really conquered by God, and who are not really with the program. I want to challenge all of you, and we have just two or three of these available on our information desk right now, so some of you who are new, please help yourself. Uh, but we'll have uh, a good number of these uh, next Sabbath for you to read. My challenge to you is... How deeply established are you in the faith? How many of these 29 statements of biblical doctrine do you agree with? 29? 20? 10? 5? 
You know, if it's only a few, I don't think you need to be here. But I, I pray and hope that most of you uh, are in agreement with all 29 of those. But I want to challenge you to read those and to study those. It is a test because we are in the end time. And God is testing us to see who is faithful and who is not. Who is really dedicated and who is really converted. Who is really submissive, cooperative in doing the work. Number one, to be established in the faith. Know and live by basic doctrines. Number two, keep the commandments of God. Matthew 19.17 Jesus said, Why call you me good? No one is good but one, that is God. But if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. And he named five of the last six. Why didn't he mention the tenth commandment? Well, because the man was rich, and it was a test to him, because the man said, I kept all these from my youth. But Jesus said, if you'll enter into life, keep the commandments. You know the first and second great commandments in Mark 2, verses 28 through 34, where he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Mark has those four elements, whereas Matthew has the three elements. What is our key relationship? Our key relationship is the first great commandment. That's sermon number 649, the first great commandment by Dr. Meredith. We also have one by Dr. Meredith, number 808, focus on Christ. And this past Wednesday, Mr. Bob Lee gave a strong Bible study Believe in the true name of Christ, the power of the true name of Christ. Let's turn, well, I don't need to, I'll just repeat that. I I turned to it before, 1 John 2, 3. Now by this we know that we know him. Number two, if we're going to be established in the faith, we need to keep the commandments of God. And those commandments primarily show our relationship to God and Christ in our relationship to our neighbors. Number two is to keep the commandments of God. Number three, to be established in the faith, is to study the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Let's turn to Matthew, the seventh chapter, Matthew 7 and verse 21. Actually, we sang about building your house on a rock in the hymn, during the hymn service. Matthew 7 and verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Then verse 27, 24. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew, and the beat on that house, and it did not fall because it was founded on a rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. They were astonished at his teaching because he taught 
as one having authority and not as the scribes. So God's ministers have authority. Christ has authority. We want to abide by his commandments. We want to do what he teaches even on the Sermon on the Mount. We must believe and obey the truth. But how do we obey the truth? Matthew 4.4 It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. How do we obey the truth? Luke 4.4 It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. might just take a look here uh, briefly in Matthew 5. Remember that Jesus magnified the law. Not only did he establish the letter of the law, but he magnified the spirit of the law. And in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, we find at least five places in which he strengthened the law spiritually. Isaiah 42, verse 12 tells us that the Lord is well pleased for his righteousness sake. He will magnify the law and make it honorable. That's the King James Version. Or the New King James Version, he will exalt the law and make it honorable. But notice, Matthew 5, verse 21. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be in the danger of the judgment. Verse 22. But I say to you, Jesus is saying to you and to me, do we get it? Are we living by it? Whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. Whoever says to his brother Raka shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says fool shall be in the danger of hellfire. I know when we were teenagers, someone in the local Protestant church would call someone a fool. They said, oh, you're in danger of hell. they, They knew that scripture. So you don't call someone a fool. Because what it's saying is you are a nobody, you are nothing. When God says, yes, everyone is precious in God's sight and has potential for being in his family. The second one, verse 27, you have heard that it was said of those of old, you shall not commit adultery. Verse 28, but I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery in his heart. Oh, are we practicing the fundamentals of Christianity? Number three, verse 31. Furthermore, it has been said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that whoever divorces his wife for any reason except sexual immorality or porneia in the Greek causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a woman who is divorced commits adultery. Verse 33 is a fourth example of his magnifying the law. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oaths to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, neither by the earth, for it is his footstool, neither by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the king. Nor shall you swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair white or black, but let your yes be yes and your no, no, or whatever more is more than these is from the evil one. We had a sermonette here one time on euphemisms about 
my goodness or some of those kind of uh, variations of God's name. And uh, just even after the sermonette, uh, one of the members was heard using some of those euphemisms. Uh, I wonder if we really hear and understand uh, what we need to learn from Sabbath services. So here's another one. You have heard that it is said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I tell you. And then verse 43, you have heard that it is said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Verse 44, but I say to you, love your enemies. If you're going to be perfect, you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect by having unconditional love and have that kind of maturity. So number three, we need to study the Sermon on the Mount and live by it. Number four is to rejoice in the new covenant. Our former association taught and a heresy about the new covenant, and yet what a joy it is to know that the true understanding of the new covenant brought out here in Hebrews the eighth chapter and we are pioneers of that new covenant. That's uh, sermon number 809 that we had here a few months ago, pioneers of the new covenant. Hebrews 8 and verse 7. For if that first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second, but because finding fault with them, not with a covenant. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with the fathers in that day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they did not continue in my covenant, and I disregarded them, says the Lord. So they didn't believe God. They didn't obey God. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of of Israel after those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. So God is writing his laws, his way of life. It's called the way of love, love towards God and love towards neighbors. I hope that you're praying that God is writing his laws on on your heart and mind. You're meditating on it. He said in Matthew 26, 28, for this is my blood in the new covenant which is shed for many for the remission of sin. So Jesus established the new covenant at the Passover, and we are pioneers of that covenant. God is now writing his laws on our hearts and on our minds, just as he will in prophecy. You can read that back here in Ezekiel 36. And that's the wonderful news for tomorrow's world of those who are coming out of the great tribulation, the second great exodus, those who have been in captivity, will come back out. And he tells us in Ezekiel 36, verse 26, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. That's what God has done to most of us. If any one of us still has a heart of stone, you need to ask God to replace it with a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will keep my judgments and do them. 
So God is going to have a new covenant with the house of Israel, the house of Judah, and eventually to the whole world. But God is now using us as the pioneers of that new covenant for examples in the future. Number four is to rejoice in the new covenant. Number five, and I know some of you are going to get tired of my repeating this, but it is fulfill Christ's mission. If you have a mission, it will inspire you, it will move you, it will give you zeal and determination. Why do you get up in the morning? Well, you have several physical reasons to get up, but it is to get up to see the telecast tomorrow morning on WAXN at 7 a.m. to see Dr. Meredith's program on the Middle East. Or, if you want to get up a little later, see it on WGN at 8.30 tomorrow morning. Or, Wednesday morning at 7.30. Or, Monday night, 7.30 on WHKY. Maybe you get up in the morning to pray. When I was younger... I was able to just roll out of bed and pray for a half an hour on my knees. And it was just, it was almost automatic. And, uh, of course, now that I'm older, I have a few other uh, health issues to deal with. But I still thank Dr. Meredith for his instruction to us as freshman and ambassador in 1962-1963 that if you are going to grow spiritually, you need to be praying a good half hour a day on your knees. That's repeated, by the way, in the Ambassador College Bible Correspondence Course, attributing that to Mr. Herbert Armstrong about praying a half an hour on your knees. Of course, you can pray anywhere, pray walking and sleeping or not sleeping, but uh, in bed, uh, Sitting down, you can pray anytime, anywhere. It tells us to be in prayer, to pray without ceasing. But why do you get up in the morning? To meditate, to study the Tomorrow's World Bible Study Course, to read your Bible? Well, you know John 4, verse 34. Jesus said, My food is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. He had a desire to fulfill his father's will and the mission that the father had given him. And he committed his whole life to doing that. So Christ has given us that mission, and it requires team effort. It requires a family effort. We are the body of Christ, but we must also speak the same thing. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians, the first chapter. 1 Corinthians 1. First Corinthians 1, verse 10. Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Well, let's see if what degree we are in the same mind and same judgment as you study the official statement of fundamental beliefs. We need to, again, have... How can we be that way? We can be that way because Christ lives his life in all of us, or in each of us individually, we will 
understand the truth, agree to the truth, and obey the truth. So we want to, number one, know and live by the basic doctrines. Number two, keep the commandments of God. Number three, study the Sermon on the Mount. Number four, rejoice in the new covenant. Number five, fulfill Christ's mission. We have behind the work video this year for the feast. It is called the Philadelphian Mission. And it revolves around, of course, the sevenfold commission that most of you already have a chart. We actually have, I think, about uh, 40 or 50 of these in in paper uh, out here on the information table, the sevenfold commission of the living church of God. Uh, This is going to be made available to all of the United States feast sites in poster form, not in just little paper form, but poster form so that it can be mounted on a wall or framed uh, somewhere. And for the international sites, it will be sent out as a PDF, electronic form, so they can download it and print it uh, anywhere around the world. And eventually, uh, we'll have it on our website so anyone can download it. But how committed are you to the mission that Christ has given us? Remember, you heard in the announcement that... Uh, Mr. Dan Hall and uh, Mr. Stroud, is it, are are in uh, Columbus, Mississippi today. Uh, You might send up a prayer for their Tomorrow's World presentation. And Dr. Doug Winnale will be speaking at uh, one of the hotels near JFK Airport in New York tomorrow. So you want to be praying for that. If your heart is in God's work, you will be established in the faith. Yet we have splinter groups. You have to ask about some of the Church of God's splinter groups. Are they fulfilling the Great Commission? How do you test a church or a congregation? Jesus said in Matthew 7, verse 20, By their fruits you will know them. So number five in being established in the faith is fulfill Christ's mission. Now, Number six may sound a little too fundamental for you, but not really. Because we had thousands of people who, under the false new covenant idea, said they didn't need to keep the Sabbath day anymore. It's like this one minister told Dr. Douglas Renale. I never proved that. He had uh, children growing up in the church who apostatized and said, oh, I never proved that. They didn't want to prove it, perhaps. Number six to be established in the faith is to prove God's Sabbath day. Now, I won't take a survey here, but I would guess that a good 85% of you have solidly proved that you need to be keeping the seventh-day Sabbath, God's Sabbath day. As it says in Colossians 2.6, you need to be established in the faith. But when was the Sabbath established? It tells us in the fourth commandment, Exodus 20, verse 11. For in six days the Eternal made, or actually remade, the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. When? At the creation. They, he not only blessed it, but he hallowed it. He sanctified it, set it apart. And you know in Mark 2.28 that the... Sabbath was made for the Jews and not, no, 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 sorry, Mark 2.27. The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, the Son of Man is Lord 
also of the Sabbath. Now, you've, some of you have gotten this down fairly well in your studies. Mr. Wakefield emphasized this in the message last Sabbath on Satan's little shop of deceptions, the ceremonial Sabbath. But turn to Hebrews, the fourth chapter, Hebrews 4. And this is, I was uh, in a uh, car one time traveling with uh, an evangelist and his son. And his son was had apostatized to uh, our former association. And he didn't think he needed to keep the Sabbath. And I said, look, this is a slam dunk. Just read what it says here in Hebrews, the fourth chapter. Because they are saying, oh, there's no place in the New Testament. Well, Christ is Lord of the Sabbath. He hasn't changed. He still is Lord of the Sabbath. He didn't say the first day of the week, Sunday. But the Sabbath was made for man at creation. Hebrews, the fourth chapter, and verse 8. Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear lest any of you seem to come short of it. Now, here... The Greek is cataplasm, symbolic of the coming kingdom of God, but also uh, in duality of keeping the weekly Sabbath. So verse 9, most of you know that the Greek word there is sabbatismos. There remains, therefore, a rest for the people of God. Even the NIV has, there remains a keeping of the Sabbath for the people of God. So even other translations know that this is talking about keeping a Sabbath. Some will say, well, maybe that just means symbolic of uh, the ultimate Sabbath rest and really doesn't mean a physical uh, Sabbath rest. Well, there actually is the Anchor Bible Dictionary, which I've quoted from on the telecast on the Sabbath controversy, states this. Physical Sabbath-keeping on the part of the New Covenant believer, as affirmed by, quote, Sabbath rest, end of quote, epitomizes cessation from works 4.10, that is Hebrews 4.10, in commemoration of God's rest at creation, parentheses, chapter 4, verse 4, refers to Genesis 2, verse 2, parentheses, closed and manifest faith in the salvation provided by Christ. So I said on the telecast, that's quite a plain statement. Here the Anchor Bible Dictionary is saying, chapter 4, verse 1, is saying, we cease from our own works the same way God did from his. And the only question you have to do, that is the converted person has ceased from his works as God did from his. And all we have to do is ask the question, how did God cease from his works? And the answer is very clear in verse 4. For he, God, has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. So yes, we need to rest from our works the same way God did. So number six is to prove God's Sabbath. Number seven is to prove and understand God's holy days, festivals, and plan of salvation. I hope most of you have seen, well, I will take a survey from here. Uh, I think it was just three weeks ago we had the telecast uh, by Dr. Meredith, God's Master Plan, offering the booklet on the holy days, God's Master Plan. How many of you have seen his telecast any time in history 
God's master plan. Let me see your hands. Okay, good. All right, thank you. That looks like a good 92.3% of you. Very good. We do have, by the way, uh, several booklets out on the information table, the Holy Days, God's Master Plan. So if some of you are still studying into that uh, particular topic, that's available to you. You know the seven festivals, you know the seven holy days, the New Testament Passover. I always am touched by John 1, verse 29. You don't need to turn there, but John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He was the only being that was capable of even doing that. He's also called the Savior of the world. John 4.42 and 1 John 4.14 called Jesus the Savior of the world. I'll just mention that again. John 4.42 and 1 John 4.14. He's the Savior of the world. Let's turn to 1 John 1 and verse 7. If we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So we'll be thankful for the Passover and realize that if we walk in the light, Christ is the light, the Word of God is light, and He tells us that we are the light of the world as well, but that is the light of truth, and we need to walk in it. So, The first festival is that of the Passover. And when was it? It was the night in which Jesus was betrayed, the 14th of Nisan. That's 1 Corinthians 11.22. The Apostle Paul says that I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And why some of the Church of God splinter groups will not follow the example of the Bible, um, they're going to be judged. The second festival, of course, is the Days of Unleavened Bread. When I turn there, we won't take too much time on this. Uh, it's another topic, another sermon. Dr. Meredith covered that very well in his telecast on the God's master plan. Let's uh, quickly look at 1 Corinthians 5 and... Uh, Verse 6, he says, Your glorying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? And leaven being, in this case, a type of sin. Therefore, purge out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, since you truly are unleavened. For indeed, Christ our Passover was sanctified, sacrificed for us. Therefore, <coughs> a New Testament command to a Gentile church. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, nor with leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. They were unleavened physically, but they were not unleavened spiritually, and thus the very strong corrective letter of 1 Corinthians. As a result of that, they did repent, and uh, God forgave them. And the second epistle of Paul's, uh, that is, in the second Corinthians, shows how They did have a godly sorrow and had the fruits of godly repentance. 
So secondly, second festival, the Days of Unleavened Bread, the third festival, Pentecost, the Feast of Weeks, first of Feast of First Fruits. You count 50 days beginning with, is it in the Hebrew, the day after the Sabbath associated with the Days of Unleavened Bread. And still, other Church of God splinters will not follow what God has revealed to His church that it, the counting is beginning with the day after the Sabbath. You count 50 days, and the Hebrew, would, Hebrew is beginning with. It's an inclusive count. So if you start counting on a Sunday, the day after the Sabbath, the 50th day is always going to be on a Sunday. The Jews, of course, will not count. They disobey even their own instructions in Leviticus. They do not count. They just set a date on the calendar, see Van 6, as being the Feast of Weeks. So they are in error. The fourth feast, of course, is the Feast of Trumpets. And our fundamentals of belief uh, gives us the uh, comments. I'll just read them to save time. The Feast of Trumpets points prophetically to the second coming of Jesus Christ and gives several scriptures and, of course, the Day of the Lord. The Day of Atonement pictures the banishment of Satan and man's becoming at one with God. The Feast of Tabernacles pictures a soon-coming wonderful world under the government of Jesus Christ and his saints. And the last great day features the great judgment that will occur at the end of the millennial reign of Jesus Christ on earth. So, again, brethren, be sure you get a copy of this. I think most of you have a copy. Uh, Make sure you read through it. So we just thank God for the last great day, the general judgment, the second second resurrection, which even Sodom and Gomorrah will have more tolerance in the judgment, as Jesus said. Tyre and Sidon, the same, Matthew 11, verse 22. And then, of course, the new heaven and the new earth that comes. So number seven, to be established in the faith, prove and understand God's holy days, festivals, and plan of salvation. We need to believe the truth and obey the truth. Some of our newer brethren and some of our youth are searching for the truth. They're still testing. They're still proving. They're still researching sound doctrine. You know what? Some of our educational program, SEP in Orem, Minnesota, years ago, I signed a, assigned a paper to our teenagers titled, What I Believe. And I was just so inspired and encouraged, I want to read part of this to you. It's uh, by a teenager. She was, I think, about 15 or 16 years of age. And this is what she wrote. I won't read all of it because of time. What I Believe. And has her name signed at the bottom or typed at the bottom. In fact, it's just one page. I'm suggesting that you do a one-pager on what you believe. I believe there is a God who created everything and will forgive us of our sins if we repent. I believe in the seven laws of success and the Ten Commandments, because that's what I was teaching at the time, those two. I believe if you do not obey God, you will not make it to the place of safety. I believe there is a place of safety and that God's chosen people will make it. Of course, this is back in the 80s when Mr. Armstrong was alive. I believe in Mr. Armstrong that he is the apostle of God, that God is working through him to reach all of the people of this world. I believe this is the right and only true church of God because it goes by what the Bible says and by what God teaches. 
I believe Christ is going to return to the earth and bring with him his government and his way of teaching that the whole world may change and go the way of God. I believe Satan will be cast into outer darkness for eternity. I believe Christ died for our sins and that through him dying, all may be given another chance, a chance to repent and be forgiven. If he had not died for our sins, we would all come short of the glory of God. I believe there is a devil who is of the way of get and not give, who is the leader of all the world except for those in God's church, and also that his way is wrong and that Christ is the right way. I believe God can heal you when you are sick or hurt, and that if you are not healed, then you are doing something wrong, and you should find out what it is and repent so you can be healed. Well, I have to caveat on that. That's not always true, that you are doing something terribly wrong and that your illness is a punishment to you. That's a possibility, and you should examine it as a possibility. I believe you must have respect and honor your parents and elders of the church and outside the church. We must be good examples so that others may follow in our footsteps. I believe God's way is the only way to live and that you must pray and fast and study so you may stay in close contact with God. So here is a paper by a teenager, What I Believe, just just very remarkable. And I challenge all of you to write a one-pager on what you believe. I know some of you could write a whole book on what you believe, and uh, Dr. Meredith has written the equivalent of probably, you know, 100 books and all of his articles over the years. Uh, but do you know what you believe, and are you convicted of it? And do you know that it's the truth? And do you obey the truth? We need to know what we believe and to know that what we believe is the truth. So, brethren, we have been practicing these fundamentals of Christianity for years. But we must continue to practice these fundamentals more fully and build on the foundation of God's work, the foundation of Christ, the foundation of the apostles, and continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. Because Paul also told us that he that thinks he stands, take heed, lest he fall. Some have fallen after decades of being associated with the church of God. You need to test yourself, prove to yourself, humble yourself, and make sure that you are convicted in a part of the true body of Christ. Remember, the Apostle Paul wants us, or wrote us, instructed us, to speak the same thing, the same doctrine. And Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. But the previous verse, verse 31, he said, if you abide in my word... You are my disciples indeed. So, brethren, let's not be deceived by the heresies and false doctrines that are floating around. Let's be established in sound doctrine. Let's be established in the faith, the true faith, preserved by God's church. And let's fulfill the mission that Christ has given us. We thank God for his calling. We thank God for the gift of truth. So let's go forward in faith, always believing and always obeying the truth.